Welcome to the Westminster Chapel podcast. For more information and to support our mission to London and beyond, please visit westminsterchapel.org.uk. Ephesians 6 verses 18 to 20. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Good morning. Um, sorry if I'm sniffing a bit. I'm just, it is overwhelming. Um, I think the one thing Howard missed, glaring mistake really in Howard's presentation, which we should all criticize him for, um, is for his leadership. Unbelievable to have got us to, he, he, he made a very small deal of the obstacles and the opposition that has been faced by him and then a gr- Annoyingly, he then recruited a team who had to then take on obstacles as well. But early on, a lot of it has been on him and Stephen facing a lot of opposition. So much prayer has gone into this. So much standing firm and keeping on going, despite the fact it would have been really easy and much easier to simplify the project, even just hand it over to another generation in the future. But we've got here because we've had incredible leadership. So can you guys stand up? All right, sit down. So um, if you have joined us, and I've actually excitedly met quite a few people who are just joining us today, so you probably think we're all really weird for getting all emotional about just a funny little space. Um, But we've been going through the letter to the Ephesians. It's one of the books in the New Testament, six chapters, and we're very close to the end. This is the penultimate message, and... I'm getting to the end of what's called the spiritual warfare part of Ephesians. Um, And you heard those verses read just then. This is about prayer, um, prayer specifically. I'm just going to read the verses again just to keep them in our minds. So we've finished. We've been told to take on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And then Paul says, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, Paul was in prison while he was writing this. Um, So he's saying, pray for me. But interesting, what he doesn't say, pray that I can have a great prison break. He says, pray for me 
uh, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel is like some gruel or something you shoved under his door as he's there in prison. He wants boldness so that he can open his mouth to speak to the um, people who are maybe, I don't know, what they're doing, these jailers, the prison guards, probably abusing him in different ways. or just, It's not a nice situation, but he wants God to give him boldness to open his mouth so that words may be given um, to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Those two words are highly significant. That I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So that's the sentiment that Paul has. Now, when I read the New Testament, I find it very helpful Remembering that all of the writers of the New Testament, we assume, were um, Jewish or knew of the Jewish faith. Uh, So they knew the Old Testament inside out, back to front. And the Old Testament is always in their minds as they're writing New Testament stuff. So it's quite helpful to think, well, what Old Testament story might be going around in the back of their minds as they're writing this down? And that sometimes just adds a bit of color, a bit of flavor to a passage. So for me, uh, it struck me that this sounds quite a lot like, bearing in mind all of the spiritual warfare stuff before. So Paul is referring to we're all in a battle, and then prayer is absolutely necessary for that battle to happen. I think he might have had at least a little bit in mind a story from Exodus chapter 17, which is uh, Israel has just come out of Egypt. God has set them free, the Exodus story, all of that. And they're heading towards Mount Sinai to receive the law. They're in the wilderness, but in that wilderness phase, they get attacked by the Amalekites. Um, and the Amalekites sort of descend on them and try and take them out. And here's how the story goes. So Exodus chapter 17. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. Now, it's interesting how the Old Testament works. Old Testament writers often don't give you enough detail. If this was a modern film writer, they would have spent 15 minutes on this scene of the fight and everything that was happening. But you actually have to go into another book of the Bible to find out why the Amalekites or how the Amalekites attacked. So you can go to Deuteronomy 25, and it says this, Remember what the Amalekites did to you along the way when you came out of Egypt. When you were weary and worn out, they met you on your journey and attacked all who were lagging behind. They had no fear of God. When the Lord your God gives you rest from all the enemies around you in the land, he is going, so this is Moses now talking about when you get into the promised land, when he puts you into that land, you shall blot out the name of the Amalekites from under heaven. Do not forget this. Okay, remember those three words. Do not forget. <laughs> Ironic. Do not forget. Um, so, carry on. Exodus story. So, they're being attacked by the Amalekites. Now, so Moses said to jo- <laughs> I think that was the noise they made. So, Moses said to Joshua, choose for, Joshua was kind of his uh, number two. Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow, I will go and stand on top of the hill bit like Alex was up there, um, on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. <laughs> if I were Joshua, I'd be like, okay, so you're sending me into battle and you're going up on a mountain to hold a stick. Thank you. But, 
So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek there down on the ground fighting while Moses, Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. So Joshua's fighting down here. Moses, Aaron and Hur are up where Alex was. Whenever Moses held up his hands, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hands, Amalek prevailed. So God's people are winning, Amalek is winning. But Moses' hands, understandably, he's probably getting quite old, grew weary. So they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. While Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side and the other on the other side, so that his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. So as I said, these stories in the Old Testament, we're told in the New Testament, those Old Testament stories happened and they are significant in and of themselves, but they also provide us with an incredibly helpful model or pattern to understand our own context. We're meant to learn from these Old Testament stories. And I think Paul is actually drawing from that into our context and teaching us how we can fight the battle and how we can keep fighting the battle together. So I think just some basic things, some basic ideas to draw out of this, of how to stay in the battle. Because uh, it's interesting, we're coming to the end of this spiritual warfare section of Ephesians. We'll move on to some other sermon series, and we'll all be thinking about that stuff. But does that mean that the battle has ended? Does it mean that the enemy has given up and gone, oh dear, they've uh, all learned about spiritual warfare, I better not touch them. No, 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 the war, the battle continues. And we are heading into some great seasons, which means possibly the warfare is just going to increase. So, point number one, everybody matters. Did you notice who the Amalekites targeted as they came to attack um, the Israelites? They attacked the stragglers, the weary, those who are lagging behind. And the Amalekites are a picture of a greater enemy that everyone faces, which is Satan and demons. And we've talked about Satan and demons quite a lot in this series, so if you want to go back and find out more, you can. But what this tells me is that the enemy has no mercy whatsoever. He doesn't bravely say, hey, give me your strongest, and I'll send my strongest, and they can fight it out together. He says, no, I'm going to target the weak ones at the back, those who are struggling, those stragglers who can't really hold up their own arms, they can't really fight, we'll target them. And now, how could Moses have responded, perhaps? Moses has got all of these people, thousands of people, and he's heading towards Mount Sinai and then the Promised Land. Moses could have said, well, they were holding us back anyway. They were a bit slow. They were a bit annoying. They complained a bit. Let's just leave them. It doesn't really matter. Let the Amalekites take them, and we'll carry on pressing into the promised land. And I think sometimes there can be that sentiment. Hey, there's difficult people in the church, but they'll leave. That's fine. They'll, they'll drift away. That's fine. Because really, we just want the proactive. We want the really keen people in our churches so that we can press on to great things. But Moses teaches us the kind of shepherd that God wants and we see it in Jesus as well. Moses was a shepherd of the strong sheep and the stragglers. 
the healthy and the diseased. Jesus is the shepherd who goes after the one sheep who's got lost. Paul demonstrates it for us by saying, make prayers, supplications for all the saints. Every single person. So who is it that we're forgetting? Who is it that's slightly drifting away? We've, we're going through, COVID has been a wilderness experience for the church, our church, the church globally. As we haven't been able to gather physically together, people have grown weary, have drifted to the edges. And how are we treating them? How are we thinking about them? How are we praying for them? How are we reaching out to them? It's absolutely vital that we have the heart of Jesus, Moses, Paul, of wanting to care for those who are feeling weaker, possibly straddling, and that the enemy in his no mercy would target and go after. This is why we need one another. This is why we need to be in life groups, I'd say. Not be in life group when you're feeling your best, when you're feeling your spiritually strongest. No, life groups are there for the moments when you are totally depleted and you really need someone because you're not going to volunteer, hey, I'm feeling a bit rubbish at the moment. You need someone to text you and say, hey, how are you doing? I haven't seen you in a little while. They're not spying on us. When a life group leader sends a message like that or just someone in the church, they're not spying. They're not trying to be a bit creepy and stalk you. They care. They're sharing the heart of Moses, Jesus, and Paul. I just think this is relevant going into the Christmas break. I think, remember, Satan doesn't say, hey, it's Christmas, I better not attack anyone, because that's the Christian holiday. No, Christmas is often the time when actually we have a break from our church, and that's fine, head back to family, whatever it might be. But do remember, when we isolate ourselves spiritually, that's when we are weakest, maybe most vulnerable, So I'd really encourage you, even if you're not in a life group, we're coming to the end of the life group season, but there is a week this week, you could sign up for one, you could get into the WhatsApp group, you could think as a life group, how can we care for one another during this time? How can we stay in contact? I think it's absolutely vital. Then, remember to stay awake. Now, this is confession time, but it was a very long time ago. I used to drive back in the day when uh, I didn't live in central London. And I would drive to and from school when I was in uh, high school. And often at the moment, like where it turns nighttime at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, it was just dark, it had been a slightly tiring day, and driving home. And you drive past those signs that say, stay awake, stay alert, take a break. And I always thought, well, that's not relevant for me. I'm young, I'm energetic, I'm feeling fine. And you think that until... You suddenly feel your car going over one of those like bumpy bits on the side of the road. It's blah, 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 and it suddenly jolts you awake. And you realize, crikey, even I, even I, um, am susceptible to falling asleep at the wheel. And then you become more aware of this. And then you think, oh, I, I really need to be aware of this. And I, I think this is where I'm, I'm, I'm sort of pointing back to that earlier bit. Stragglers. We can all be stragglers. It's not just a a small group of people who are the stragglers, those that sit in the back rows of the church. (laughs) You're fine. Every single person can become a straggler. All of us need this. All of us could fall asleep at the wheel. So just three basic things to help us. Remember to stay awake. 
because Paul and Moses are really, really strong on this. Do not forget. Keep alert. Stay awake. And I think the first thing is to recognize the danger of falling asleep. Because there's a significant difference between falling asleep as a passenger of a car and falling asleep as the driver of a car. Even though you're less than a meter apart, in terms of danger, there is a significant difference. And I think the situation that we all need to get our minds into is, remember, you are not a passenger on this journey. It can creep into our minds when other people are doing more of the activities, the people at the front, on the stage, whatever it is, they're the drivers of this thing, and I'm just a passenger. Hey, I like turning up, I like hearing what's being said, I might have my own personal faith, but it's fine. I'm kind of a passenger in this journey. You're really not. You are driving the car just as much as any other Christian. You've been called to that by God. The danger of you falling asleep is equal to Howard falling asleep. Hear Jesus' words. I think Paul has got these in mind as well when he's writing the end of Ephesians 6. Jesus says in Luke chapter 21, Watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation. I think that word means indulgence, that kind of thing. Uh, And drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day comes upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have the strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. If you're new to Christian stuff, the Son of Man, Jesus is referring to himself. He is talking about a day when he returns. Now, that could be the final end of uh, time when Jesus comes uh, to judge all of creation. But it might also be referring to your personal death, the moment when you personally stand before God. At that point, you can't claim that you were a passenger in the car. God will be looking you directly in the eyes and saying, how did you respond to my son Jesus? How did you follow him? At that moment, you will absolutely recognize that you were a driver of your car. And you're fully responsible. And look at the seriousness of Jesus' warning. Do not fall asleep. Do not fall asleep at the wheel. Now these warnings, Howard brilliantly preached on this last week. These warnings act, for true believers, these warnings act like those bumpy things on the side of the road to wake you up. If you're a genuine believer, you will hear warnings in Scripture about the seriousness of falling asleep on this Christian journey, they will jolt you awake and get you back on track. That's what they're designed to do. So let it sink in as you read passages that are warning you about the seriousness of falling asleep. Let it jolt you awake because you want to recognize the seriousness of the danger. Secondly, you want to recognize the signs that you're starting to fall asleep. That's what I had to do when I did sort of fall asleep at the wheel for a few seconds. I then had to think back and go, okay, my eyes were getting heavy. I was getting a bit distracted by the lights. I was nodding like this. All of those are basic signs that you're falling asleep. And at that point, you should act. You don't act when you've suddenly gone onto the verge. You act when you're noticing the signs. So do you know the signs of spiritually falling asleep? 
I'd say one of them is a reluctance to gather physically with the church. Thinking, ah, it's fine, we've just got online stuff, I can just do online stuff because that's, it's just me and God. No, the Bible has very serious warnings. We must gather together. We need one another physically. That's why it's so good to see you all here. But secondly, and maybe even more obviously, is the reluctance or the reserve to share about the gospel, about Jesus, about the mystery of the gospel as it's put here. Sort of unwillingness when the opportunities arise, an unwillingness to say anything that might slightly jar the conversation. And a a sort of reservedness, oh no, I'll leave that to someone else. A a lack of looking for the opportunities or even taking the opportunities when they come to talk about Jesus in a serious way with people around us. We We shouldn't be looking for how many times have I shared the gospel this week because all of us live a very different life. But we know in our hearts whether we're taking the opportunities when they come, whether it's one in a, like one in a thousand days or whether it's a thousand in a thousand days. It doesn't really matter, but God is giving us all opportunities to share about Jesus. If we're thinking, mm, I'm not that keen on it anymore, well, that is a sign of your eyes starting to get heavy, your head nodding. And I'd say that is the moment to wake up. That's the moment to talk to someone. That's the moment to admit it and be prayed for because that's the sign that you're starting to fall asleep. Thirdly then, find what works for you. Find what works for you in keeping yourself awake. Uh, For me in the car, I don't know why, I never drink Coca-Cola and I wasn't allowed sweets as a child so I don't really like them, but my recipe for staying awake was a massive bottle of Coca-Cola and a a, um, bag of uh, what are they even called? Gummy bear things, you know, the jelly babies, um, and very loud music. That trio kept me awake. Um, find out what works for you, and I think two things. One very practical thing, and then another very practical thing, actually. But um, the first practical thing, I think, is just find, understand your own personality and your own body. For me, sleeping is the best way to stay awake. So if I can make sure that I get to bed at a decent time at night and not end up doing stupid binging on all sorts of other stuff, if I can get to bed at a sensible time, I'm vaguely likely to wake up in a better mood with a better frame of mind slightly before my daughter's, apart from last night, um, and sort of have a greater sense of awareness, be able to maybe read the Bible for a bit and pray, be in a better mood when my daughters do wake up, treat them more kindly, get to work not feeling incredibly guilty, all of these kinds of things all do genuinely fall down to did I get to bed at a sensible time the night before? It's as simple as that. But I think probably bigger than that is um, prayer, obviously. And this is where we're really getting into the meat of this passage. Prayer is the fuel that keeps the church fighting. Or it's at least the process. I haven't worked out whether you can call it the fuel or the process, but hey hey. So, quick science lesson. This cheerful chap is Fritz Haber. Does anyone remember from their GCSE chemistry the Haber process? Amazing. Um, No one. Apart from the, yeah, all right, Mike, you can have a point. Free coffee for Mike. Fritz Haber 
was arguably the biggest scientist in his day, and Einstein was around at his time. Fritz Haber invented a process. I, I did a documentary. I'm not that keen, but I did a documentary about Fritz Haber. Um, Fritz Haber invented a process to extract nitrogen out of the air uh, in order to make ammonia. And ammonia is used for fertilizers, artificial fertilizers. So because of that, billions more people are alive today than they would be otherwise. Um, but also, ammonia is used in uh, ammunitions. Fritz Haber was around in World War I. He was a German Jew. He kept, uh, we interviewed a World War I historian, and she said, without a doubt, if it wasn't for Fritz Haber and the Haber process, Germany would not have been able to continue in the war for as long as they did. Because all of their supplies of uh, seagull poo, which was how they were actually getting the ammonia before, all of that was cut off. So he created the process that enabled them to stay in the war. He fueled the war and kept it going. He was a genius. Did you notice in our story, what was it that fueled the fight when Joshua was fighting? It was Moses' arms raised in the air. One held by Aaron, one held by her. And I think there's symbolism in that. Moses, the prophet of God in his day. Aaron, the priest of God in his day. And her was from the kingly line of Judah holding up Moses' arms. It's a picture of the prophet, priest, king ministry together, enabling the people of God to fight the war on the ground. Now that is a picture of the church in Christ. Christ perfectly brings together the prophet, priest, king ministries, and then his people gather together in those roles on this earth, and it's through our prayers that we fuel the fight for one another. But do notice this, what God could have done. And he occasionally did it a different way, but I think in this he's demonstrating something. He could have given Joshua superpowers just to go in and fight the battle on his own with his friends. Or he could have given Moses superpowers to just hold his own arms up for however long. But no, he made everyone reliant on one another in order for this fight to work and for there to be victory. That's how he's designed this place. That's how he's designed his church. We're not just we don't just pray so that we can have a better day and have better opportunities. In fact, I wonder whether someone else's prayers for you for opportunities and doors to open are actually even more powerful. I don't know. Who knows? But from the passage, from the principles that God seems to be teaching, we need one another to be praying in order for the process to work so that we can fuel this battle that we're fighting together. Otherwise, it won't work. So, coming into Christmas, are you praying? We really need you to pray. We really need to pray for Howard and myself will be speaking at the Christmas services. But bigger than that is for Craig and his team who are going to go out and knock on doors and hand out flyers and chat to people in the local area over the next month. It's for all of you who are taking out the brilliant Westminster Chapel Christmas flyers and not just dumping it on someone and running away, but actually having a conversation and saying, hey, I'd love you to hear about Jesus. He's changed my life. All of us together, if we're not praying, this will just be a random flyer drop. They'll end up in the bin. If we are praying, 
we can wait for a couple of weeks and see what remarkable things happen at Christmas. We need to be praying this Christmas together. What kind of prayers do we need to pray? Warfare prayers, special powerful warfare prayers that use special incantations. No, Paul doesn't include any of that. Think about the prayers that he's prayed throughout the letter of Ephesians. He, give, he, he just gives thanks for people. He says thank you for people and names them. He prays that the spirit of wisdom, everyone would be given the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of God. He prays that people would be strengthened with power through the spirit. And possibly the biggest prayer, he prays for other Christians to know the love of Christ. That is what's going to keep them going in this battle. Knowing the love of Christ in their own hearts. But there are specifics. He prays that words would be given to him because there are moments when we don't know what to say. Even if we could write the gospel down in a brilliant way outside of the work context, when the opportunity actually arises, what words should I use? Boldness. Even if we've got the words to say, sometimes we're too scared to say it. We need boldness. And then clarity. Because it is absolutely true that you can share the gospel terribly. Paul knew this. Even Paul thinks, oh dear, I might really make a pig's ear of this. So I need the Ephesian church to pray for me so that I can speak clearly about Jesus. Paul feels like he is like Joshua. They're in his prison cell, but he's on the ground fighting with the sword ready. But he needs to be fueled by Moses and Aaron and her, the Ephesian church, praying for him so that he can fight and win this small battle that he is facing. So how much more do we, well, how equally do we need that ourselves? We need one another praying or else we'll have an unfruitful Christmas. So just a side word on prayer ministry, and I'm excited because now we can do prayer ministry, like we can do it more easily. We've got such a good space. We've designed the space so that we can be flexible. So there is going to be time after this long-winded sermon for you to receive prayer ministry. Now, if you just go by basic observations, it tends to be the people who've been here for too long, they're the ones who go for prayer ministry, and everyone sits back and watches them because that's a nice thing for them. Okay, that's fine. Socially, that makes sense. If you're new, you don't go forward, you don't quite trust people. That's okay, and just find your feet in this place. It's fine. But also, please recognize Satan's not going, oh, they are new. I probably shouldn't pick on them. He has no mercy. All of us need prayer ministry of some sort. Now, it might not be your cup of tea to come forward, and I'm pointing over there. I, I can't remember where we've actually said we're going to do this. Howard will tell you. Um, but please, please, if you're fighting a battle at the moment, we all are, please be willing to go and be prayed for. Our life group leaders will be in that area. They're good people. They'll pray with you. You can share as much or as little as you like. Often it's just waiting to hear from God, and uh, we don't want to get in the way of that. So whatever situation you're in, please do go for prayer ministry. But now I think the most important thing is to give thanks. We've given thanks to God a lot. We can give thanks more. So maybe the band can come up. And I'm just going to read through some scriptures that help us to remember this. Just imagine the encouragement. Imagine we're all fighting with each other and there's two teams. This team against that team. Um, and Alex was up there. Um, and Alex, when he has his hands in the air, this team are winning. And then when his hands are down, this team are winning. 
Now imagine the encouragement when this team look up and see him with his arms in the air and then they defeat all of you. But then as Alex's hands get weary and then you guys look up and go, yes, he's weary and we're going to win. But just think, imagine that, the encouragement that you get to seeing his hands in the air. Now Moses got weary and his arms occasionally dropped. Jesus never got weary and his arms will never drop. First of all, his arms were pinned to a cross for all the world to see, in the air for you. If you're not yet a Christian, Jesus' arms were pinned like that for you, that you might be rescued from the power of darkness, that you might be rescued from, this, from your sin, that you might be rescued from the day that you die and face the living God and face the judgment that you deserve. Jesus' arms are like this, pinned to a cross for you to be rescued and saved. But then for all of us, his church, Jesus' hands are raised in blessing from the right hand of God. Let's just listen to these scriptures. It says in Hebrews 5, verse 7, He offered up, Jesus offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. His hands were raised up on the cross for the eternal salvation of anyone who would put their faith in him. That could be you today. And then carrying on in Hebrews. He, Jesus, is able to save completely those who come to God through him. Because he always lives now. What's he up to in heaven? He always lives to intercede for them. His hands are raised, like Moses' were, praying for the victory of his church. Praying for your conversations at work or school or on your street, whatever it is. Jesus' arms are raised for you. And then this incredible scripture, just to finish. The band can start playing if you want. because we'll. Uh, oh no, actually, Ivy's going to be praying after this, sorry. <laughs> Hold your horses. Romans 8. Ivy, if you want to steal Howard's microphone. Um, Romans 8. Who then, this is just bear in mind everything we've looked at with spiritual warfare and all the battles that you've been thinking about and praying about. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life and is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered, but what a shepherd Jesus is. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Amen. Jesus is on that mountaintop for you with his arms raised that we would fight this battle together. Guys, we haven't got to the finish line with this building. I think we're probably in the starting blocks because what could this place be useful? What conversations could be happening? Whose lives could we impact 
by using this space wisely. Jesus' arms are raised, praying for us to win this battle, to take those steps of faith into Christmas and beyond. So let's do it. Let's do that together. Ivy's going to lead us in prayer. Let's stand. Ivy's going to lead us, and then we'll worship in response. Please, please pray and keep praying. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. I'm taking, before we go into prayer, I'm taking my scripture from 1 Kings chapter, um, chapter 8, verse 27. And this is when Solomon builds the temple for God and he talks about the dedication. But will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heavens, cannot contain you. How much less this temple I have built, the chapel. You give attention to your servant's prayers and his plea for mercy. Oh Lord my God, hear the cry and the prayer that your servant is praying in your presence today. May your eyes be open to this temple night and day. When Andy asked me to... Um, um, pray today and you know I was meditating on the scripture that he, he uh, mentioned using Howard's framework of soap for people that are in the service last year and what happened God just showed me a picture of the chapel as it was which all of us have seen this morning and then he showed me that at that point is when prayer starts and then when you look at the picture that was shared this morning you can see the journey all the things that had to happen, the works that went on. And then you see the final output, which even though it's still ongoing. And it just goes to show you how prayer is important. And you know, there was something that even when Howard was saying the frustration and the test they had to go to. If at any time they had stopped praying, would we have got to this point? And that is why the Bible encourages us, even for me, pray always pray without season because the truth is with prayer we cannot get through and this is our encouragement today and like I've said the God of Westminster Chapel the God that knows how, how to answer prayers I'm quite emotional because there are things that I'm believing God for there are things that I have been praying for years they're still yet to manifest but in coming today my faith has been rejuvenated. I can trust God. I can believe God. That when God says he will do something, that he will do it. How he will do it, I don't have to know. But the fact that he will do it is important. And so today, I just really want to encourage there two prayer points that I have. First, that we just pray to God. Whatever it is, whatever maybe there are things you have been praying to God for a long time, 10 years, 15 years, Years, whatever it is, let's call on the God that will hear us, the God of Westminster Chapel. And for me, that is a beautiful praise because you have the God of Elijah, the God of Abraham, but Westminster Chapel is personal because I am in Westminster Chapel. So we're going to call on the God, you know, in your own way, however you want to call on God, pray to Him. It doesn't matter what you go through, He is God by all by Himself. And then the next prayer point is that we have to pray for how and pray for the team we have to 
to get us to this state. I mean, like I said, when we think of the pictures, when we think of how this church was, for Howard to have that vision and to stand by that vision and to go through all the things, even the money. I mean, look at how much as a church we raise. It can only be God. Look at all the work, even getting the architects, getting the builders. It can only be God. So please, let's just begin to pray. Whatever it is, if you want, even if you want to use today as a memorial, write it down. God, that is what I'm believing you for. You that have answered this prayer, you have no choice but to answer me. Father, we bless you. Lord, we call upon you. Father, we pray to you. We pray to you, our God, the God of the the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the ending. Lord, hear us today. Hear our prayers. Lord, every prayer, Lord, regardless of the length of time, regardless of the type of prayer, oh God, that Lord, I pray in the mighty name of Jesus that God, you will answer us in Jesus' name. And now I'd like us to pray for Howard, to pray for the team, to pray for the architects, the builders. Father, my Lord and my God, I thank you for Howard, oh God. I thank you. It is not by mistake. It is not by accident that this day has been ordained by you that we bring the entire team, the pastoral team, the builders, the architect. Your word says your gift will make room. That God open doors for them, oh God. Make room for them in every way. Lord, above all, renew yourself to them. Reveal yourself to them. Father, a fresh visitation from heaven, oh God. A fresh anointing. Anoint Howard afresh. Anoint the pastoral team. Anoint the tech team. Anoint the staff, oh God. Anoint the architects, oh God. Anoint the builders, oh God. That Lord, let your glory, your glory, your Shekinah glory, let your glory pervade this place. Let your glory invade this place. Let your glory overwhelm this place. Because your glory you will share with no man. You are God all by yourself. As Job says, who can guide you? Who can instruct you? That is the God that we pray to. Father, we thank you in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to Sermon Audio from Westminster Chapel. If you'd like to partner with us in making disciples and sharing the gospel, please consider making a one-off or regular donation. Visit westminsterchapel.org.uk forward slash giving to find out how.